0: This podcast addresses death, difficult emotional content, and contains profanity. Listen Mm -hmm. with
1: your own motherfucking discretion. (laughs) (laughs) Get your kids. (laughs) This is Grief After Dark. So you're in like a D and Mickey sandwich right now. Welcome to Grief After Dark, everybody. Yeah, hi, everybody, and welcome. Oh my gosh, my friend AJ is here with us and I will let AJ introduce himself.
2: Hello, my name is AJ and I am a friend of D's. Um, I live in northern New Mexico, uh, right, right around Española, New Mexico on a small orchard that I bought with three other friends. So the four of us together um, are in the building process of the potential for a community. Um, it's It's yeah, we've been doing a lot of building literally just our spaces for ourselves. And um, I have lived in New Mexico now for four years, and I am polishing off a PhD in philosophical and theological studies of religion at a place called Drew University. Drew University has a graduate division of religion, uh, which is also a theological school. And one of the Uh, A couple of my professors, I won't won't name drop, but they're in in the world of Christian theology, particularly in the world of progressive Christian theology, or what a lot of Christians would say, that's not Christian anymore. Um, They are rather well known. Um, And my educational background is significant just in in the sense of I grew up um, very much evangelical Christian uh, in the Midwest. I have deep roots in Kansas, Indiana, Illinois, and Minnesota, and um, I traveled, uh, I should say, I lived in many different places for at least one year um, before landing um, in New York City to go to seminary at a place called Union Theological Seminary in New York City. It's on the Upper West Side in Morningside Heights, Uh, what um, Tina Fey on 30 Rock called White Harlem. And um, <laughs> <laughs> Union Theological Seminary is a 185-year-old institution. It is often considered the bastion of liberal Christianity. <laughs> um, they, at one point, were owned and they were started by and owned by the Presbyterian Church. And in the debates about the meaning of evolutionary theory in the 1880s, they separated themselves from Presbyterian Church. That's how you get the debate between Westminster Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania and Princeton um, Theological Seminary um, in New Jersey. And Union was right in the middle of all that. And basically, since the 1880s, for the last 150 years, Union has taken the more progressive or radical option on every single theological and social issue. Um, that ever had to do, that ever rocked the Christian church. Um, so in the 19-teens, it was the fundamentals, and they absolutely rejected that. Um, the, the Rockefellers built an entire church for a guy named Harry Emerson Fosdick that was also the buildings that was attached to the buildings um, for Union Theological Seminary's um, uh, campus. Uh, it's neo-Gothic architecture. And then... Especially during civil rights era you saw the rise of a guy named James Cone with black liberation theology um, may he rest in power um, he died in 2018 um, he was a firebrand who ignited um, a new generation of theologians and so off of his heels he's, he's known as the creator of black liberation theology but he's not obviously not the only one um, and then he inspired um, womanist liberation theology, liberation theology, queer liberation theology. Uh, we're just kind of moving forward from like the seventies, eighties, nineties, uh, into today. And, um, and so it has been, uh, Union Theological Seminary has been a home for, um, some of the most prominent theologians, um, in, uh, in Protestant Christian history. They to this day have the only theologian who made the cover of the New York Times, a guy named Paul Tillich, uh, in, in the 1950s. And I went there actually to study, of all things, psychoanalytic theory and religion. Oh. Uh, so I did my master, I did my master of arts degree in psychoanalysis, uh, psychoanalytic theory with a woman named Ann Belford Ulanov. Um, and she uh, is, a, is a prominent Jungian and object relations psychoanalyst and has written a bunch of books. And then from there, I uh, I got my master's degree there. And then I linked up with a couple of the professors at, at Drew University, which is where I said I'm doing my Ph.D. Drew is a United Methodist-owned seminary, and they are on the far left or progressive um, end of what even United Methodists can be. If the majority of the United Methodists had their way, they would kick Drew out. And they've made that very clear. Mm -hmm. Um, But they can't because Drew owns the the archives for the uh, founding figure's uh, original documents, a guy named John Wesley. So they own the archives for John Wesley's documents. And if they get rid of Drew, they lose access to the (laughs) documents. So it's a fascinating political situation that, that we find ourselves in. And more practically, uh, a couple of years ago, a letter was written upon um, on behalf of the existing out queer clergy in the United Methodist Church to the denomination saying, hey, we need to have a talk. And about half of the people that had signed that were actively Affiliated with either Union or Drew, and I, I knew quite a few names on there. A couple of them are kind of closer friends. Um, so the United Methodist Church is going through a series of convulsions right now around that, uh, and I'm over here on the outside because I'm not a United Methodist, and I never really cared whether or not they resolved this or whatever. Obviously, I want safety for um, my queer kin. Um, I want I want there to be a place. For the radicalism of this, you know, brown Palestinian executed by the state, uh, and that legacy to live on in some kind of institutional form. Uh, but personally, I'm not committed to that. I'm not committed to any for extant form of Christianity and creating um, uh, a theology or even a body politic that would try to rescue that legacy i think if jesus legacy is going to be rescued um it's not going to be by any forms current form, institutional forms of christianity and that's where i find myself amidst a whole bunch of uh interesting philosophical and theological debates
1: (laughs) welcome to grief after dark everybody
0: (laughs) i i think the angle that i tend to approach religion is always sort of from philosophy and psychology and sociology. So I'm, I'm interested. Color me intrigued already. What are we five minutes in? <laughs> right. Well, and I think the
1: reason really why I asked you here is because there are so many people who have been disenfranchised by the church and like the grief around that. And like, I, I, am a root worker. So, like, I, I don't, I mean, but I like for people to have access and, like, you know, where are the spaces that people can worship and, like, how? And I find you to be one of the most progressive religious people that I know. And, you know, I value that very highly. And you're so intelligent and you have such really beautiful things to say. Um, and I love, your openness about it. And, and so we have been talking about things that aren't related to death that have caused grief. And I think that this is a huge one. And so if you have any experiences that you would like to share with us that are directly related to you healing around religious trauma or whatever, or helping other people.
2: That's an interesting question because Approaching religion from a psychological angle necessarily means dealing with psychological death again and again and again and again. There, yeah. there, really, isn't, there really isn't such a thing um, that we could talk about as spiritual growth that doesn't involve psychological death or spiritual death. Um, right. the, the, I'm, I'm going to leave those two terms uh, aside and not define them right now. Right. Um, but um whatever we mean when we talk about spiritual death or psychological death uh something like that is happening um and one of the things that got me particularly intrigued in this intellectual path that i've taken uh which certainly has also been an existential path um because I did emerge out of evangelical christianity um and i i i have i have basically found myself on the out one way or another with every form of institutional Christianity that I have come across. Um, and, and I'm talking from fundamentalist Bible colleges that I've worked for uh, through, through parachurch organizations. Parachurch meaning they're not owned by any particular church, but they kind of operate as a church almost, um, but in a very different kind of way. Um, and then um, all the way through to the most progressive um, uh, denomination in the U.S., which is the United Church of Christ. Um, I'm, I'm a pro- progressive Protestant Christian denomination. Um, and um, in one way or another, I found myself on the outs and have had to deal personally and existentially with that kind of spiritual um, um, and even psychological death of who I am in relation to these traditions, right? Because we're, we, we never exist <laughs> as much, as much as um, certain people might uh, disagree with me. Sorry. Uh, no one exists as an Island. Um, we always exist in relation to things and we are constituted by our relations. And in that sense, when our relations change, we necessarily, um, um, exhibit forms of death. And I've, I personally have had to go through that a number of times, which is exactly how I've arrived at where I currently am. And where I currently am is still a stream of things that is changing. Um, and I think one of the first things that people have to come to grips with is the fact that if they are committed to spirituality in any kind of way, it's not an object. It's not a place of arrival. It's not a static thing. Whatever it is that we call divinity is definitely not static. It is dynamic. It is evolving and it is, it is, it is going somewhere. It is doing something. Uh, that's actually one of the reasons why I did find a, a congenial affiliation with um, a church in the United Church of Christ that I worked with because the denomination as a whole will say things like, God is still speaking. Um, just don't ask, you know, majority white rich congregations, um, in that church to ask, well, what is God doing for the poor Brown folk on the other side of the, uh, of town from you? Um, they don't like that question. And I found that <laughs> out very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, God is still speaking, but what is God doing? Mm. Um,
0: we talked a little bit about humans sort of natural drive to arrive at answers, you know, to arrive at even enlightenment, that word. It's the word enlightened has turned into such a pile of shit for me because, well, for a number of reasons, but I've met I have met probably 10 people in the last 10 years that actually told me they were enlightened now. And I was like, (laughs) Yeah. You know? And I, I mean, my I always go back to the line that Einstein didn't have to sit around and talk about how smart he was. Like if you're announcing enlightenment, but I get that, like, I think a lot of the the trouble with church and congregations is and also part of the really comforting beauty of it for congregants is is there are answers there's a book of morals mm-hmm. if this goes wrong go this way there's a whole bunch of people who will sit on a chair higher than yours and talk down at you about what the right path is the righteous path and again like while I see the comfort of that man it's been it's been problematic at best
2: right I do want to back up to what you said about humans' natural inclination to have answers. Yeah. Um, for a few pretty complex reasons that I don't want to get into, I, I will have a soft disagreement there because I I do think there is a certain naturalness to it, but I think it's also a socially constructed and encouraged naturalness. Hmm. You're taking something that could be otherwise. Um, and you're sharpening that need through the way in which we've imagined our civilization, I do think over the last 500 years, we've created an epoch where that feels natural and necessary. Now, I'm not saying that it literally can just wither away and we'll never deal with it again. Like We could create humans who never wonder about hard and fast answers, Um, but I do think the epoch of Western civilization, whatever we mean by that, has sharpened that desire so much that we can hardly imagine ourselves outside of it. And the most radical critics of, of Western enlightenment, will, the one of the first things that will tell you is that we struggle to even imagine alternatives to the ways in which we think. Uh, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is the end of capitalism, as one Cyrus uh, said. Frederick Jameson said, right? Like we can't even begin to imagine what it would look like for civilization as we know it to continue without capitalism. But we're like, oh, the whole fucking world's gonna die. Mm-hmm. Um, I can imagine. exactly. Oh, and, and that's just uh, what, it.
1: Like, but I can yeah. imagine that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, listen.
2: But on the, on, the, on the spiritual side of things, one of the things that I, so I, I have worked as a minister and a youth pastor, uh, and one of the things that I have always treasured from what I have taken from, uh, from what I have learned at the feet of Buddhists, I, I have sat in Zen meditation in the line of Thich Nhat Hanh, um, and one of the things that I always took from that tradition or, or really tried to integrate into myself uh was some of the paradoxical wisdom that they have uh they call them koans, um and in one of the things that they say is oh if you if you see the buddha on the road kill him right because no one can can give you enlightenment no one can give it to you um now having constructive responses to people's questions is a necessity in spiritual community like i don't i don't see any way of con- of constructing spiritual community in a in a way that breeds mutuality and compassion and even love without having people who are mentoring each other um, in different ways and those people in some sense are going to have spiritual direction and in a lot of and in a lot of um traditions they don't talk about you know um people having answers they talk about spiritual direction or giving you um, tips along the path. Um, the to me the key issue with it, the reason I brought up this this epoch of certainty is because one of the key issues is you can know for certain that you have imbibed in so deeply um, you've you've drank the Kool Aid so to speak. Um, about the supposed necessity of certainty, the moment that you are more interested in being right for yourself and looking right, then you are about having the kind of wisdom that, that makes other people better and breeds better community, right? Uh, deeper senses of compassion, um, and every religious tradition that I'm, that, that I'm aware of is based fundamentally on some of these human intuitions, uh, which is why I really like, you know, a psychological and sociological lens on religions um, and, and religious traditions, religious practices. And, um, and also, we see the patterns repeat so often around this because people are interested in answers so that they can be right or so that they can be a certain way it, it is about power and if you don't name um, if you don't name power dynamics in your community really clearly then you will have no hope of eradicating them not that they can ever be finally eradicated but at least i should say you will have no hope of mitigating them um you might be able to mitigate some power dynamics if you incorporate into your community, those levels of wisdom and shared accountability. But if you don't even, if you don't incorporate that at all, and that's, and that's one of the key markers of a cult, right? Is hierarchical top-down authority where somebody cannot be questioned. And there is no, there is no mode or method of accountability for them. If we're talking about spiritual communities, whether or not there's even like a god exactly because the the question of different models of god and conceptions of god and how that concept of god operates psychologically in members and sociologically as um as a um, gel of the community that's a whole other discussion however laced in all of the discussions about spiritual community necessarily is questions of power, always. And if a spiritual community of any kind doesn't have uh, rather explicit um, discussions about and methods for correcting the operations of power, then it necessarily will become um, regressive and controlling um, because it, it also has no mechanism to weed out narcissists right um and um and well frankly i've seen narcissists run train on every spiritual community i've been in every single one you know it doesn't mean that they completely dissolve the community right there there are ways of carrying on um but if you don't have those and this is why you know spiritual leaders have to have certain kinds of talent they cannot be naive they cannot be merely the most charismatic they cannot be the ones who just happen to receive a message you know because i do you know whatever divinity is i do think that humans are in some kind of complex relationship with it and the moment you try to name exactly what divinity is or who can have access to divinity and all that that's also a power move right Divinity as a concept and divinity as a as a spiritual gel in a community can it has the possibility of being a great democratizing force, but whether or not humans can deal with that,
1: that uncertainty
2: <laughs> is is another Damn. question
1: entirely. Exactly that I I have those same feelings. <laughs> like I just don't feel like humans need a middleman, really.
2: They don't. The, the issue to me is that I, th- I do think that a lot of, of of conventional wisdom around spiritual communities is constrained by the idea that divinity is something outside of us completely. Or or on the other side, the, the, the flip image of that within a lot of kind of new wave Um, And uh, New Age spiritual communities, and I don't mean that like pejoratively, like all New Age do this, but rather a tendency in New, New Age is to take the big daddy God in the sky and flip that around and then say, no, divinity is solely within you. Both of those are wrong moves because they're not accounting for the dynamic, intersubjective and socially constructed nature of divinity. One of the reasons why spiritual communities are so compelling is because of what happens between members and in each other and divinity all at the same time. Like it is, it is this dynamic process that, that really cannot be replicated um, mm-hmm. easily, but it's also, it's also why we love rock shows, right? Like it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And And the moment that you project God as something knowable and outside of yourself, then you need an emissary, right? You need, you need a prophet to tell you you need a middleman. Sure. Um, But, but also that's where, that's where power comes in. But the, but the moment you project God as solely the private ownership of an individual in their private relationship, then you also have no check against whatever that person wants to believe about divinity, right? right? And so all of these, to me, they're different communal mistakes about the nature of divinity. And that's why Mm -hmm. I will freely say, like, I'm not really a theologian because I'm not really trying to articulate what divinity is in any um, positive or direct way. But I like talking about theology because if you don't, if you don't talk about religious experiences within community and what's happening, then you also are disregarding something that is very, very real and very felt, regardless of our ability to know it scientifically, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I reject the scientific paradigm, but that would say that only what is testable, repeatable, and um, rational according to the standards of our objective western scientific methodology only those things are real like, and that fuck excluded
1: you. a lot of people so you know yes. it's only a certain yes. group of people's opinions that matter
2: exactly exactly right so but the moment the moment that your god is knowable totally whether that's internal or external the moment your god is knowable totally you've given in to that same colonial western paradigm and that's where power just can run rampant and certainty is a necessity but i do think there are there aren't there aren't middlemen for divinity but we do need each other in mm-hmm. the construction of divinity and the co the co um co-creation and uh, co-dynamic interaction of divinity Right. James Waddell and Bell Hooks are both deeply informed by religious traditions. Yeah. But they are not, they are not telling you go to those religious traditions. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They're talking about they're talking about community and accountability that in ways that are dynamically informed by these religious traditions. In the same way Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X did. Right. Yeah. Like they are all deeply informed by certain kinds of religious sensibilities. And the moment the, the, the issue is when we give over our power and say, divinity is completely outside of me. I need to ascend to its commands totally. And, and maybe I need a spiritual mentor who could tell me the right way rather than thinking of it as a co-creative and dynamic process, right? Because there are people for whom uh, we need spiritual direction you know and that doesn't have to be construed hierarchically right like I, I, let me tell you the most fucked up people you will meet are also some of the ones who will give you some of the best spiritual wisdom right and this same is true for some of the most compelling uh, ministers that i know like i know ministers who are addicts of one one way or another and also that doesn't rule them out it just means they for being able to offer spiritual wisdom it just means that they struggle in one area of life and also they have an incredible insight in another area of life
0: it means they're they're stuck in the human body like the rest of us i mean exactly at what point again like with the enlightenment thing at what point do you reach a space where like now you are above the human (laughs) experience are you still in a body is it human
2: yep Yeah, I still take a shit in the morning. Do
1: you still shit in the morning? (laughs) And it still stinks as well. So, (laughs) Right. Enlightenment for me has never been a destination that I'm just going to get there and all will be revealed. And I'm just going to be, oh, my God, I'll never need to know another thing.
2: And that's for me, that's where I, I flipped from an interest in kind of theology more directly, which is where I started. To mm-hmm. a much broader interest in philosophy, because at that point, when you when you're talking about enlightenment, right? Because there are lots of spiritual and religious traditions that have no god,
0: mm-hmm. right?
2: They never mm-hmm. really cared in in for one way, one reason or another. Some of them would say whatever we call divinity is fundamentally unknowable, so we don't really need to talk about it. Others would say, what is there to talk about? We don't believe, you know. Even the word belief doesn't really make sense, right? Like, like the word belief itself is a product of post Nicene Christianity, right? So uh, about 325, 350 AD, that's when belief becomes a dynamic player within, um, within what we think of as religious commitments. And there are plenty of traditions that predate that, uh, and have no God. And yet they still have this incredible cosmology of thinking about the universe in such a way that it's not static, it's really dynamic. And so enlightenment, especially for a lot of uh, different traditions within the kind of general Buddhist fold, they don't, you know, it is fundamentally wrong um, to think of enlightenment as a thing.
0: Right. Or a destination. You have arrived.
2: Yeah, like
0: you have right the confetti falls from the heavens. <laughs>
2: <laughs> For a lot of them, it is emptying and seeing the fundamental nothingness at heart of everything because there's this dynamic, ongoing like there is no thing out there that you can grab, achieve, realize, right? Um, that in and, and that's my interpretation of it. Granted, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you that I'm not enlightened. I'm not I, I certainly have not spent all that much time in in <laughs> meditation. Um, this this monkey brain is way too active at least at this this juncture in life. Um it's it's a it's a hard sell
0: for me. Same, buddy. It's a circus in here. You did clarify <laughs> though, and I would agree that like the the place that I was coming from does have more to do with western culture religion because the older yeah. dudes including Buddhism and the franciscan's like i i can get down with people who do embrace paradox because that's that's where i have ended up in my spiritual death <laughs> paradox is my word for the year yeah because it's the only place i could land after you know so i i moved out of la 10 years ago and kind of tried to abandon my belief I'll put beliefs in air quotes, my belief systems mm-hmm. because I got to a place where I wasn't really sure if they were something that I felt in my heart and spirit or something that somebody sold me at some point. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to tear the whole place down and you know, burn mm-hmm. what was left and kind of start over, which was really fucking unnerving by the way, in case anybody chooses to take that journey it's uh it gets weird and it
2: doesn't feel good.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's really unnerving. Uh And and a lot of that to me was the lack of answers and the lack of of knowing. And actually, right in the middle of all this, I watched that um, that documentary that Leia Ramini did on Scientology. And one of the most episodes of that whole series was when somebody was like, is there anything you miss? And she was like, I miss knowing. Like I miss just knowing. And I remember mm-hmm. a place in my own life where like I really felt like, like I kind of had the spiritual game just figured. And then yeah. I changed my mind. And uh yeah, <laughs> the, the only I could only land in a place that you can't land. And that's a fun ass paradox. But the ancient teachings really do lean more towards just kind of laughing at you if you think you have any answers at all when it comes to something as big as God.
2: Correct. The question for a lot of religious communities is is it is deeply sociological, which is it's a stress test, which says how much mystery and unknowing can we cultivate in this community as a community? Um, because the seeds of doubt feel corrosive to a lot of people and they feel like we're not on the same page. And they feel like, like we're not going in the same direction. And one of the comforts of spiritual community is a group of people who key into that, um, that in group belonging in confirmation bias Mm -hmm. about one's own, place in the cosmos and that's that's a deeply existential thing that is not rational it is not cognitive we can give cognitive words to it but it's not fundamentally that we and and once you let go of that spiritual death yeah right tom petty comes in with the chorus
1: and i'm free (laughs) perfect
2: mickey what was the catalyst for you in moving from that sense of certainty in having the spiritual life or whatever, uh, that's kind of how you phrase it, figured out to beginning to question it. Can you think of a single catalyst or was it a a growing, creeping realization?
0: Uh, I think the catalyst was moving from the place that I had lived my whole life Um, and leaving what was my spiritual community and, and people who had known me forever. I didn't really think it was going to be so spiritual a journey, but really the, the major tearing down was just like in the last few years. And I have, I have a sibling that has a terminal cancer diagnosis. And that, that was probably the That was the beginning of existential for me that that I've never hit existential the way I did. Because at that point, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, what is the point? Why? What? Still breathing in and out. Why? And, And I had to start from scratch. Nothing at that point, mm-hmm. it turned everything so upside down that nothing really, nothing sat right with me anymore. It nothing really made sense. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to send you both my newest t-shirt that I made for my dear friend, Josh, because <laughs> I've said it so many times <laughs> in the last like year or two. It's so good. It says existential is not a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I, need I love it. that. And it's like, I, I'm very proud I of the design. That. I'm going to send it. Yeah. We're going to send it to everybody. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. wine's up, folks. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Fear <laughs> not. Walk into the darkness. You'll be fine. Come out the other side with a wine spritzer if you're lucky.
1: <laughs> a spritzer, even.
0: Oh, yeah. oh so fancy. Oh, yeah.
1: I love <laughs> well, thank you, AJ, so much for joining us. We have arrived at our... Not so rapid fire. Rapid fire question segment. Okay. If you like to play, let us know. You have to consent to this.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm in. Let's do it.
1: Awesome. What would you do if you were a god for one day?
0: That's what the internet picked for this conversation.
2: Impressive. Impressive question. I can't give a philosopher a question so broad. <laughs> um. Um. I would probably. Summon another god, like uh, I don't know, Chris Hemsworth. You know, like yes. probably, probably summon, probably summon that god and see. Yes. See what yes. kind of godlike activities we could get into together.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you saw the latest. You saw Thor, Eleven Thunder, right? When oh, he gets all his clothes blown right. off, and then you're just like, "Oh boy." <laughs>
1: I pushed pause several times. Don't. Play. <laughs>
2: It's kind of it's kind of criminal that somebody could look like that. You're like, what the fuck,
1: man? It, Yeah. <laughs> Chris's mama, she did us a service that one time. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> <And>
0: Mickey. <laughs> How can I possibly I can't beat some in Chris's work. <laughs> Dude. I surrendered. <laughs> first, first for everything. <laughs>
2: You could say you would summon both of us and then all of a sudden you have Chris Hemsworth and me who is a god that day. uh,
0: Yeah, maybe I just throw a giant god party. I just feel like if I could be god for the day, I would already know all the things I'm wondering. Maybe I would just take a fucking nap at this point. I am tired. If I were god for a day, I would take a I would take a 5,000 year nap is what I would do.
2: I was, I, was, I was actually thinking up. of blipping out of existence for, for like the day, yeah. just blipping out of existence No, yeah. know what really, you know, the, the, technically there's no experience of nothing because it's truly really nothing. It's the negation of all experience.
0: So I don't even, tank.
2: you know, exactly. Yeah. I don't like flip tanks. Even...
0: I honestly have never tried one because it doesn't actually sound very nice to me. <laughs> I think it would just give me an anxiety yeah. attack.
2: Somebody gave me a gift of, like, a couple of floats, so I tried it. It was whatever. You got to drink a shit ton of water because all the salt just, like, soaks it out of you. And then if you don't, then you you end up with, like, a, a splitting headache afterwards. It's awful.
0: Yeah, counterproductive. Mm-hmm. D. Oh, my God.
1: This has to be the best rapid-fire question segment ever. No, <laughs> I'm
0: like, I'm nothing. Nothing's ever rapid about it. Question. Fires.
1: Um, shit, man. Yeah, it's a hard question because I—I I mean, I think I would just pretty much hit the reset button. No, hard, hard reset. Hard. I'm gonna unplug it and I'm gonna wait thirty seconds. I'm gonna plug it again. Oh my, my gosh! No. I almost lost my drink on that. I mean. Yeah, I'ma I'm see you. all I need to see because one day is a thousand years, right? Ain't that, with ain't that what they have said in that Bible? So, you know, I got time. Y'all don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we might have to restart a couple times. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what's going on.
0: Just keep unplugging and um, plugging it back in and see. Yeah, see if it works. Blow out the cartridge.
1: Um, What would you do if you were a five-year-old for a day? It's kind of like being a god, y'all.
0: God, it really <laughs> is. I just play a nap. Same <laughs> answer.
1: <laughs> just yeah. take yeah. a
0: nap. Yeah. <clears throat> it's
2: not the same. Yeah. <laughs> it has weird eat. connotations now.
1: I really kind of just want a really good meal. I would talk someone into making me a really good meal taking a really good nap like like a 25 year nap
2: <laughs> i miss being carried around it doesn't happen that often when you're six feet and 200 pounds right like yeah, people don't just carry me so I'm t- I'm just, like, i just feel like kind of like this all day like up 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 or each like, month.
1: you know you get to sit in someone's lap and they just comfort you like that doesn't happen yeah totally that does Do not you know, happen.
0: Tim's going to get home and I'm going to be like, <laughs> hold me. <laughs> hold
1: on. i me try something. <laughs> Just work with me here. <laughs> you pretend I'm five. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Now you made it weird. <laughs> Shit. That, that's a different <laughs> church. <laughs> I'm comfortable. <talking about. laughs>
2: Yeah, That is the kind of church I will not be affiliated with. Oh, yes.
1: no, no, thank you. Um, who is your celebrity crush?
2: Well, we already covered that now, didn't we?
0: I literally cannot stop thinking about Chris. Five hard
1: minutes now.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't often find celebrities all that all that compelling, like I don't
1: really have. A well, on I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm yeah. heading towards my elderly years, and you know, I I want to be like this really naughty, flamboyant old lady. I got started years ago. But anyway, um, I <laughs> list,
0: and I do. I'm like, well, I want some man meat. Thank you so much. Is it Patrick Stewart? Oh my God! Listen, is it? Is that what you would that say? Is?
1: No, it's not what I would say first. He he's on the list though. Yes, absolutely. He's not number one. Who's number one? Number one is Chris Nimsworth. Okay. Obviously, or Keanu close? They're both number one. I mean.
2: I have massive crushes on like like very minor like Instagram (laughs) celebs, you know? (laughs) Like I don't and I don't mean to like I'll name this person. I don't mean to say she's minor, but in a certain sense, like she's not exactly famous, but she's made a life for herself uh lane Moore, do you know her
1: no. Nope. no let me let me go ahead and look her up let's do a quick yeah, she's she got a great
2: talk. instagram account she does these she's like a comedian and um and uh like she's written one book that's published she said she, she has another book uh that's coming out soon um she does this like um show she calls tinder live and she does a lot of like funny videos you know just in general, on on the gram, and I totally have a massive crush on her. I'd be like, yes, <laughs> that's, that's, that's I'm, awesome. I'm going with that.
1: Okay, because all right. I'm not,
2: cool. I'm, we already covered we already covered Chris Hemsworth. I'm going with Lane more.
1: Okay. <laughs> if
2: somehow she sees this, hi Lane, I can be available <laughs> for you. <I>
0: promise. <laughs> really do need to do video clips of this one of these days. Uh, I, I'm actually going to say Johnny Depp because he just goes so far back in my crush years, and nobody crushes like teenage girls. So probably the thirteen was a very, like a
2: very, a very complicated answer. Okay,
0: <laughs> you have no idea.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's real complicated. I mean, it's Freddy cougar complicated, but I mean anyway. Thank you for joining
0: us was that three <laughs> questions my yes. god that was an a long rapid fire that was an hour it was the best mm-hmm. one ever tim good luck with that <laughs> aj fun, do you tim. do you have any thoughts to end us on
2: spiritual death is most often something that will lead to a much wider sense of life and mm-hmm. if which is not to say embrace it at every turn but rather when it happens, the more you resist it the more it's going to hurt.
0: Mhm. Well, thank you for telling everybody exactly what I needed to hear. <laughs> that was kind of you. You're
2: welcome. You're welcome, Mickey.
1: So,
0: thank you for everything you said that was um i feel like we really kind of cheated what should be a three week to four week long conversation into an hour but um it was some interesting perspective and a lot of food for talk d podcast number six (laughs) (laughs) aj are you ready (laughs) (laughs) AJ stays ready. Just FYI. Oh, good. <laughs> that's that's also handy. This wow. that this, is gonna
2: be this that. whole thing up here just kind of is a constant hum. So, so yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I, thank God some people can do that because I sure can't.
2: Oh, it's annoying. I'll tell you that. <laughs> fucking annoying. It really is. It'd be like it'd be like six a.m. and I'm like my dog wakes me up for whatever reason and I'm like. But what about the being of being? <laughs> <Shut up.
1: laughs> but what about
0: the being of being?
1: <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> awful.
0: Again, that's awful. why I bring the wine spritzer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I should have. I'm going to get. I'm going to uh, Santa Fe's best high restaurant, which is re- actually really cheap um, tonight. So I'll have to give me something nice with that. <laughs>
0: Perfect. <laughs> Cheers to that. Exactly. Thank Cheers you again. It. Indeed. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Anytime.